take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, at the beginning of the year, we um, embarked upon a journey in talking about spiritual maturity and looking at what spiritual maturity looks like from a biblical perspective. If you are a believer and the Lord has called you to his own, one of the things that God has called you to do is towards spiritual maturity. God wants you to grow in grace. He wants you, as you continue on this journey of faith until he calls you home, to continue to grow in your faith. And so stagnancy is not an option. Now, of course, there's limits to growth, how fast, when, the ways in which you grow, all of that is under the sovereign care of God, but God has called you towards spiritual growth. And so at the beginning of the year, we looked at the book of James and we looked at a broad overview of what spiritual growth, spiritual maturity looks like. And then we had our Easter uh, series on the resurrection and how through Christ, you and I are able to even talk about spiritual growth. Well, now coming out of that, we're going to be looking at bedrock Christian principles that aid in our spiritual growth. And you cannot get more bedrock than love. And so over the next three or so weeks, maybe more, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13. And you're like, Pastor Dennis, can you really preach four, uh, four sermons out, three, four sermons out of uh, 1 Corinthians 13? Absolutely. Right? I could spend the rest of the year on 1 Corinthians 13. That is no issue for me at all. But I don't want to wear you out. So we're only going to look at about three, three times over the next week about love. But even now, why don't you begin to pray and shape your heart to receive the word of the Lord as we look at this wonderful passage of 1 Corinthians 13. Listen, love is messy, amen? If you've ever loved anybody, it's messy, it's brutal. And that's why it's a bedrock Christian principle. And that's why we need wisdom. And so let's look at this passage. We're only going to look at the first three verses um, today, but I want to read the entire passage so you understand the full scope of this wonderful um, portion of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. For love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, well, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. 
For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. And then when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Well, all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our wonderful, glorious Savior in prayer. Father, you see us and you know our frailty. You know that we struggle to love well. Lord, we say that as a community, we desire that, but you know that that's hard because we're sinful. Holy Spirit, come now. Please, we need your help. We cannot do it on our own. As we'll see, we could try and love, but without you, without your power, without your energy, we will fail. We'll become miserable and frustrated, and we'll give up. And so help us now, your people, to love well. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, this passage doesn't need a lot of runway, and so I'm not going to give it that. Um, there's two things that I want to point out to you today from this passage. Number one is the meaning of love. Paul shows us the meaning of love in this passage. And number two, Paul gives us the distinct message of love from this passage. So the meaning and the message of love, both are found in this passage, right? First of all, the meaning of love. Now, all of us, uh, or many of us know that the word for love in this passage is the word agape, right? You're familiar with that word. In fact, it's the word that's commonly used for Christian love. Everywhere you go, you know, there's a ministry known as Agape Ministry or uh, a church known as Agape Church or, you know, it's tattooed on people's face, you know, or whatever. Um, it's everywhere. It's on Instagram and Facebook. Everywhere you go, you see the word agape. In fact, it's, it's become sort of like one of those words where you see it so much, you hear about it so much that it loses its meaning. But all of us know that's the Christian word for love. But do you know that that wasn't always the case? In fact, agape used to be the least used word for love. I mean, it's hard to imagine that now because we're so used to the term. We're, we're so used to using the term agape. But before the time of Christ, agape was a throwaway word for love. The two words that they used most often of love, the first one is the word eros, right? Eros was the word of the poets and the philosophers. Why? Because it denoted passion, right? It's the word for romance. It's passion. It's heat. That's what eros was. And that's the word they used most often when they talked about love. It wasn't always between a man and a woman. It could be for anything, right? 
And so that's what they used. They used eros. If you, if you were a person of passion, you would talk about eros. Right? You wouldn't talk about agape. The second word that they used almost all the time was the word phileo. And most of us are actually familiar with this word. Think of the city, Philadelphia. Philae, love, Delphia or Adelphos, meaning brother. The city of brotherly love, right? Be like the guy from my big fat Greek wedding. Give me a word, any word, and I'll tell you what it means in Greek, right? But most of us are familiar with that word, Adolphos, meaning love, brotherly love. And so that's the word that they used when they talk about love for another brother, love for another family member. They said, they, they used that word phileo, but they didn't use agape. Now, why didn't they use agape? Because agape at its, at its base meant to just be satisfied with something. To be merely satisfied with something. After you, after you eat a nice meal, you're satisfied with that, right? Now, the Greeks didn't want to use that term, especially when it came to loving other people. You know, you don't want to tell your wife or your girlfriend, oh, I'm just satisfied with you. It's almost like we're saying you're adequate. That's what the word meant. And, and in their culture, one of the reasons why the word wasn't used was because at the end of the day, you cannot just be satisfied with someone if they were a sinner. No. In fact, you had to have some talent, some gift to receive somebody's love or affection. You couldn't just give your love and affection to people who were broken, people who were sinners, people who had issues. You wouldn't do that. You wouldn't be satisfied with them. But in steps Jesus. And in steps the cross. And in steps the knowledge of God. In which now Christians imbued within agape a meaning that was totally foreign to everyone else around them. This idea that God could be satisfied with man. That, that idea was unheard of because the gods were never satisfied with us. The gods were capricious. The gods hated us. The gods always looked down on us because we were mere filthy human beings. But within Christianity, they saw and heard of a God that accepted us and loved us as sinners. And this was revolutionary. And so agape began to pop up everywhere. This obscure word, this word that nobody used, became now infused with this great meaning that the God of heaven, when he looked down on us as sinners, instead of looking at us as mere worms, as mere nuisances, as mere annoyances, now he looked down from heaven and he saw a people that he can be satisfied with. But hear me today, not just satisfied with us, because when God came down, when Jesus Christ came down, and when he lived his perfect life and he died for our sins, he didn't die just to forgive us of our sins. He died to change you. You see, to be satisfied with something isn't just to accept them, right? To bring them in and say, you're okay and I'm okay. No, 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 no. If you truly love something, if you truly agape something, not only will you be satisfied with it, not only will you accept it, but if it's broken, you will try to heal it and make it new. 
This was the essence of the Old Testament love. When God saw Israel, he says, Israel, I didn't accept you. I didn't redeem you because you were perfect. I didn't redeem you because you were the biggest tribe or the mightiest tribe. I saw your imperfections. I saw you were a stiff-necked people. I saw you were people that will always want to go back to Egypt. But instead, I wanted to do a work through you. It reminds me of the little children's book we read to our children, uh, Corduroy. The little girl, when she goes into the department store, and she sees Corduroy among all the other toys, and she wanted Corduroy. And he had the little button missing. And so she couldn't afford him then, but she goes back. You all know what I'm talking about, right? This, that's like, this is not an obscure reference here, right? So she goes home. She gets her uh, piggy bank. She takes all of her money, and she goes, and she gets corduroy, and she loves corduroy. But what, is, what does she do at the end? She sews back on the button. And then she hugs corduroy, and she says, I love you. And corduroy hugs her back and says, I love you too. That's the picture of agape in which our God came and healed us and accepted us and forgave us. And now he's in a process of changing us. Why? Because we cannot remain the way we are. In our culture, we preach a gospel of acceptance, do we not? Just accept people the way they are. But what if they're broken? Are we going to leave them in their brokenness? If somebody's a drug addict, yes, I say accept them. But you know what? God doesn't leave them there. Yes, there are some of us, we were alcoholics, but God didn't leave us there. Yes, there are some of us inside this building that were promiscuous, but God didn't leave us there. It is wrong to leave someone in a broken state. That's no love at all. But the love, the agape love that's mentioned here over nine times, and if you go through the book of Corinthians, it's mentioned over and over again. If you go to John, John is the captain of love, by the way. It's mentioned over and over again, this word agape, agape. Why? Because it's the love of bringing somebody in, of acceptance, of making them whole. This is why Paul is telling them this wonderful thing. Now, let me say, I'll tell you something about this agape love. It is covenantal love. It is the love that God has toward us, his people, right? It's the love of acceptance. It's a love that means satisfied. But there are two other things I want you to know about agape real quick. Not only is it the love of acceptance and to be satisfied with something, but also it's a love that's reciprocal. It's reciprocal love. You might be like, well, Pastor Dennis, what do you mean by reciprocal love? That means it's a love that understands I love you and you love me. Okay? It's reciprocal love. It's not one-sided. You know, the one thing about our society today is that we're marked by selfishness. All of us want to be loved. All of us want to be listened to. All of us want to be cared for. But do we want to listen to others? Do we want to care for others? Do you realize that the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you, is predicated on the principle of reciprocity. If you want to be loved a particular way, guess what? You have to love other people that way. But we're so selfish as a society, all we want to do is we want people to love us. We want people to reach out to us. We want people to cater to our needs. But no, do we want to cater to other people's needs? 
Do we want to take the time to just listen to others? At its heart, at its heart, agape is reciprocal love. In fact, you cannot understand the Trinity without understanding the recipro- this principle of reciprocity, this, this principle of reciprocal love. You can't. Because love, in and the very bedrock of love is that it's reciprocal. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Father loves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves the Father. Uh, the, the Son loves the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves the Son. Did I get all of them? Yes, I did. Right? That's the essence of love. What we have in our relationships, whether it's in the church, it could even be in your marriage, maybe it's among your friend groups. It's not love if it's not two ways. If that is just flowing one way, you can't call that love because at the heart of love is a reciprocal nature. And you can't just sit back and say to yourself, I want to be loved, and you're not actively loving someone else. That is selfishness, and that's not agape. Here's the second thing. Covenantal love, agape love, is familial, not transactional. Now, what do we mean by transactional love? Transactional love is you love someone because you can get something out of it. That describes Corinth, by the way. Corinth was a place where you went and you built relationships only because you can get something out of it. But that's not agape love. Agape love is familial It's not transactional. We don't love people solely because they can benefit us or give us something back. We love them for who we are. That's why we, for who they are. That's why we call it familial love. Here's what I mean by that. When our children were born, right, they were complete strangers to us. Now, they were cute, right? And they had our DNA, but but they were complete strangers to us. And not just that, not just that, they couldn't love us back. They couldn't love us back. In fact, they cried all the time. And they wanted to be changed. But why why did we love them? Because they were part of a family, our family. And so we shed our love upon them. Incidentally, incidentally, why do you think God says, Jesus said, one of the highest forms of love is to love your enemy? Why do you think that is? Because that's the least transactional form of love. Your enemy isn't going to love you back. Your enemy refuses to love you back. But Jesus said that's one of the highest forms of love because it's the least transactional. You love your enemy because they're created in the image of God. In fact, Jesus said that's what separates Christian love from the love of the heathen. He says, look, even the heathen love people who love them. It's easy to love people that love you. It's easy to love people who think you're the bomb.com. Don't copyright that, by the way. I'm still working on that, right? It's, it's easy. It's so easy to love people that love you. But what does Jesus say? The height of Christian love, the height of agape love, is when you can love someone who is your Someone that is not seeking your good. Someone who's actively trying to harm you. Now do you begin to understand why Paul uses agape here? 
at this portion in 1 Corinthians? The first Corinthian, the, the people at Corinth at that time, look, they were talented people. They were educated people. They were people that gave their money. Look at this passage. There are people who had tremendous gifts. They had tongues of men and angels. These are people who had prophetic powers. These were people who, who had faith that could move mountains. These are people who had wonderful works. These were amazing people. These weren't like nobodies. These were creme de la creme. But yet Paul says as he looks at them with all of their talent and their wealth and their ability, he looks at them and sees that these people are selfish. They don't practice a love that is satisfied with one another. Their love is transactional. Their love isn't a love of acceptance. That's why Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 13, because he's looking at a group of people who don't know the meaning of agape. In fact, agape was an indictment on them. Yes, they knew about eros. They loved eros. They loved the passion. And yes, they knew about um, phileo. Why? Because they had this brotherly love towards one another. But the one form of love they needed is the one form of love they lacked. And that's agape. This passionate, overwhelming love towards one another. And because of that, they miss the boat. They miss the essential message of love, which leads me to my second point. What is the essential message of love? Well, look at this passage. What is Paul trying to say here? What is Paul trying to say when he says, though you speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, um, though you speak with prophetic powers and all of these things that you can do, you give your body up, you give all your stuff away, you get burned, all of this stuff. Why does Paul say if you do all of this stuff, it profits you, profits you nothing without love? Here's what Paul says. You and I can do big things for the Lord, amazing things for the Lord, wonderful things in the Lord. But if it's done without agape love, it will profit, profit you nothing. In other words, here's what Paul says. You can do all of these things and still be an unbeliever. Let that sink in for a moment. You can give all your money away. You can help people. You can do all these wonderful things, but you could still be an unbeliever. Or if you are a true believer, you could do all these things, and they'll still be wood, hay, and stubble. As one author said, anything we do, even if it's the biggest thing, the grandest thing, the most glorious thing, minus love, equals nothing. It's called the divine math. One author calls it the divine math. And look at all the things that they do. The, the tongues of men and angels. This is the idea of speaking persuasively with authority. You're engaging, right? Some of us are excellent speakers. My, you know, like I, I get paid to speak well, but if I come up here and preach without love, it profits me nothing. I could be preaching for 30 years. But if I don't love the people that I'm preaching to, if I don't love uh, my Lord, right? By the way, my love for you is an overflow of my love for the Lord. Same for you. When you meet someone who doesn't know how to love well, chances are they're not loving the Lord well. There's something wrong with their relationship with the Lord. 
but I could do, I could speak with the tongues of men. I could be a spiritually mature person on the outside. I have all of this faith. I can understand mysteries. You're knowledgeable. But if you don't have agape love, it says you are nothing. It will profit you nothing. Do you see how serious this is? This was a huge indictment. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor Dennis, how is that even possible? How can you do all these wonderful things and still not be a Christian? Or how can you do all these wonderful things and it could not profit you? Jonathan Edwards wrote a series of sermons on 1 Corinthians 13. I highly recommend it. A little long, the language a little fuzzy, but you could get it, right? By the way, if you're looking for a devotional, order this book and read through it. It is amazing. But here's what Edward says. This is how it's possible for all of us in this room to do wonderful things for the Lord and still be an unbeliever or still be a Christian whose works doesn't profit them. Here's what Edward says. Edward says all of these things, all of these works, all of the gifts, the ecstatic gifts and the like, he said all of them are like clothes on our bodies or jewelry on our bodies. It's amazing. Do you, do you catch what uh, Edwards is saying? Edwards is saying this. You can have clothes that make you look like a million dollars, but that doesn't make you a millionaire. You can do all sorts of good works. You can show up to church every Sunday. You can read your Bible. You can pray. You can do all of that, but that's just like clothes that you put on your body. It doesn't impact your heart. It does nothing for you. You just look pretty, but inside you are like an empty sepulcher. You're dead. That's what Edwards is saying. And what? And this is a perfect example of the church at Corinth. They looked wonderful on the outside. They looked so well put together. But on the inside, they were absolutely dead. And it reminded me of what Jesus said that on the last day, when folks stand before him, they'll say, they'll say Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I, did, I not, did I not feed people in your name? Did I not do all of these things in your name? And what does our Lord say? Depart from me, I know you not, you workers of iniquity. Why would Jesus say that? It's because they were doing it, but not with agape. Not with love. Not with a genuine care and concern for others. Now, some of you are like, well, Pastor Dennis, how do I know if my actions and the things that I'm doing, is, I'm doing it out of love? Well, you need to come back next week. We're going to talk about that. I'm just kidding. I'll, I'll give you a sneak preview. Do you know how your, how do you know that your actions are done in a loving way? Let's take a sneak peek into verse number four now. Are you patient and kind when you do it? Well, are you? When you, when you do works for the Lord, are you envious or boastful? Are you arrogant? Are you rude? When, when you do something in the church, do you insist that it has to be done your way? When, when you serve others, are you irritable or resentful? See, he gives them heart attitudes to help them to see. You might claim that you're loving, but, but look at what he says. Are you doing it? Are you bearing all things as you do it? Are you believing all things as you're doing? Are you hoping all things that you do it? Are you enduring all things that you do it? Look, all of us inside here today can say that we love one another. But listen to me, if we're irritable, if we get frustrated and angry and resentful, then you're not doing it in love. You're doing it for you. 
You're doing it to receive your glory. And you will, by the way, on earth, because people are going to say all sorts of wonderful things about you. Oh, look at how faithful they are. Look at how, look at all the things that they're doing. But their heart, on the inside, they're resentful and boastful and angry and frustrated. This, see, look, outward, outward. Everything we do is outward. But what is Paul saying here? Paul is getting at our hearts. Paul is digging deep down inside of us, and he says, you know what? You can do all of these things, but man, if you're bitter and angry and frustrated and upset as you do it, you're not doing it in love. You're not doing it in love. Listen, I know most of us have heard this passage um, at a a wedding. You know, when people are getting married and they're so sweet and they're looking at each other's eyes. By the way, I love weddings. Um, and, And they're, you know, it's this happy and wonderful moment. And we say, oh, isn't this sweet and grand? But, but are you seeing now that this is an indictment? Are you seeing now how Paul is sort of like doing surgery on their hearts? Because Paul is saying, look, you could do whatever you want, but look at the nature of your heart. Do you exhibit these things? The Corinthian church didn't. They were trying to do big things without love. Now, what is the opposite of that? The opposite of that is us doing small things with great love. Most of us inside here know Mother Teresa. And Mother Teresa, not my Teresa, but Mother Teresa, right? She, by all accounts, wasn't a talented woman. She wasn't a great orator. She wasn't a towering intellect. She didn't go to her best school. But one of the things she did was she loved well. In fact, she had this statement, and and it's where the title of the sermon comes from. And here's what she said. Not all of us can do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. And isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? Not all of us are going to go on to do great and wonderful things. And that was the problem in Corinth. They wanted to do great things. They wanted to do big things. They wanted to do wonderful things. But they were doing it without love. Without love. And by the way, think with me about Christ, right? Think with me about Christ. What is Christ known for? You know, when Christ came to earth, he was, bo- he was given parents that were not noble. He grew up in poverty. He grew up on a wrong stride or tracks. In fact, do you know that Jesus wasn't eloquent? He had, a, he had a Galilean accent, which was the equivalent of a North Georgia accent. Right? No offense to people who have a North Georgia accent, by the way. I, I love Southern accents. But if you heard Jesus talk, he sounded like a redneck. He never wrote a book. He lived for only 33 years, and 30 of those years were in absolute obscurity. The other three was filled with all sorts of trouble. Jesus, by all accounts, lived a normal life of everyone else. The only difference was he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he is known for his love. He's known for his love. Because that's the enduring quality. And we're going to look at that in the next few weeks. Hear me as I close, right? What's the big takeaway of all of this? Here's the big takeaway. Big takeaway is this. Corinth was a church that was known for doing big things, wonderful things, glorious things, but they did it with no love. You know what? I want us to be different. 
look, we're, we're probably never going to be the church known for having the most members, a large budget, a grandiose youth group. We're probably never going to be known as the church that changes the world. But you know one thing we can be known for? It's a church that loves people well. That people in this community, when they think of CVPC, you know what they say? Man, those people love people. Brothers, as Paul says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, you see your calling, not many wise, not many noble, not many after the flesh, but God has chosen the foolish things, the base things, the confound the wise. How is it that God can do that? Through the power of love. Yes, of course, we might never be the big church that everybody comes to or everybody knows, but man, we could be big on love. That's our challenge. That's our calling. I'm not trying to build a kingdom here on earth. I'm not trying to build our kingdom here on earth, but I'm trying to bring build God's kingdom here on earth. And some of you know this to be the case. Listen, I, I said I'll close with this. This is a double closing. Here's the last thing I'd say. When, you, when we start loving, by the way, it's going to be painful. Any one of you that have loved people or tried to love people know this for a fact. Loving people is painful. It's messy. And it's hard. You know it because you're, if you're married, you know this to be true. If you have children, you know this to be true. If you have friends, if you're part of, the, of a family, you know that loving people is hard. That's the warning. When we try to love with this agape love, be prepared to be hurt. Some of you are looking at me, Pastor, you're not selling this. Look, I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm here to tell you the truth. Loving people is messy and hard. But I will tell you this. When you love people with this agape love, the way that God has called us to love people, it's transformative. Nothing brings greater joy. Nothing brings greater satisfaction. In fact, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 2, said that Jesus Christ, when he came, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. How could you endure the cross? How can the cross be a joy that was set before you? Because he did it out of love. If you want to experience true joy, unbounded joy, glorious joy, learn to love like this. Learn to love where you accept people. Learn to love in such a way that your love is not selfish. Learn to love in such a way that your love is not transactional. And see what Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit can do. That is true love that changes the world. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And this business of loving is hard and it's messy. And we inside this building, we know the high task that's before us. Holy Spirit, we can't do it without you, so please come. Please come. Enliven our hearts. Help us. Help us. We need you so badly. Help all of us to pursue this agape love. Help us to pursue it as a church. Help us to learn to do small things with big love. In Jesus' name, amen.